thank you so much. Uh, everyone who is teaching for us today, thank you, thank you, thank you. That is, um, we hope that you're blessed and hope that you get as much out of this as the kids do today. Uh, oh, speaking of kids, we've got a bunch of teenagers. They're going to go on a camp here in a couple weeks. It's going to take about 150 bucks for them to go. So if you've got some stuff around your place that you think's worth about 150 bucks worth of work, let me know. All right. All right, let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we pray that you'll be with us, Holy Spirit. We, uh, we just in- invite you and ask you to speak to us into our hearts today. And uh, just so grateful for uh, all your provisions and who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis today. Uh, we've been going through Daniel, and, and we may get back to Daniel uh, tomorrow. I had something really on my heart. Um, I, I, I wanted to save this for Father's Day, but I, I know better. Uh, if God puts something on your heart, throw it out there, okay? So don't, don't save stuff for uh, a rainy day spiritually. Uh, you got to go for it. So we're going for it today. I've got to catch you up on a little bit of a story in Genesis, okay? Because basically every theme in the Bible will be traced back to Genesis. Genesis is full of stories, but you have to understand that these stories are um, allegorical. They're metaphorical. They're foreshadowing of major themes in the Bible. And, and, and this is one of those that is just dripping wet, um, with, with symbolism for things that are going to happen all throughout the Bible, okay? So uh, feel free to go there with me in your word. Also, all the scripture will be on the screen. No one expected you to be a Bible scholar, and I'm going to catch you up on the story today. If you didn't know it walking in here, that's okay, all right? Uh, uh, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. There's two sections. There's the Old Testament, a New Testament. The Old Testament is God creating the world, choosing his people, promising that a Messiah would come through these, uh, these people, and that Messiah did. That was Jesus. That's when the New Testament started, okay? Now, in the Old Testament, we start with a man named Abram. God liked this guy, changed his name to Abraham, all right? Told Abraham, through you... I'm going to start a nation that is going to bless the world. You know what's so cool about this story is it's true. We can still trace a lot of this lineage, and you have names that are in your Bible from antiquity, places that are in your Bible from antiquity. Like, we dig them up later. Nobody knew about it for maybe even thousands of years, and we dig it up, and it's like, oh, wow, the Bible's been telling me about that for years. Uh, I just, I, I love it. But... With Abraham, God tells Abraham, through you, through you, there's going to be a people. And so Abraham doesn't have necessarily a lot of kids, but he does have one son named Isaac. Uh, and, and God tells Isaac, through you, there will be a great nation. And then Isaac has a couple of sons. It gets interesting Isaac and his wife are blessed with children late in life. And the pregnancy was rough. See, she was carrying twins. And the twins were at war in the womb of their mother. And remember, every theme 
that you will experience in your life. You can track back. You can trace back to Genesis. Uh, these two who are at war in the womb, much of this is still going on. This war is still going on. Uh, but there were two sons in this woman, and one was Jacob, and the other was Esau. They were twins. Now, how does that work for an inheritance? Because uh, in this day, the firstborn son would receive uh, the inheritance, right? Or, or the lion's share of the inheritance. And Esau is born first. Next comes his brother Jacob, who when he came out was holding on to the heel of his brother. And so they named him Jacob, which doesn't sound significant to you, but it is. It's symbolically significant, and also for him, the word or the name Jacob meant one who grabs onto the heel. Now you're like, that's a strange thing to name your kid. Couple things. When we translate things, things don't always translate exactly, not because they had an inferior language, but a lot of times it's because we don't really have a term for someone who grabs onto the heel. You know, so we don't have a proper English name to translate that into, but it's more than just one who grabs onto a heel. It's like it could also be taken as somebody who's very jealous, someone who would trip you up to get there in front of you, right? So this is Jacob. And so we have Abraham. Abraham through you is going to be a great people. Passes on to Isaac. Isaac through you is going to be a great people. And now Isaac has two sons. We've got to pick one. One of these has got to pass down the lineage. And then also, they're not exactly multiplying very fast. If, <laughs> if, uh, if something's going to happen and God is going to create a nation, somebody got to be having more than two babies. Okay? I don't know if you know how multiplication works, but two people having two kids is not multiplying. We're faced with who's it going to be? Who is God going to drive this lineage through? Now, I'm going to catch you up on the story. It gets a little twisted. It's a little Jerry Springer. It's entertaining, though. They're at war in the womb. Jacob is grabbing on Esau's hill when he comes out. Esau is a rugged, hairy redhead. Like, what significance is that? I don't know. The Bible said it. I'm sure there's some great significance to it. But he would go out and kill wild game, and his father liked him best. I didn't write it. Okay. You're like, you're not supposed to do that. Tell him. His father liked Esau best, but the mother liked Jacob best, and Jacob was a smooth man. So what does that mean? It means he wasn't Harry, like the other dude. So you have these twin brothers, and we get, it's, it's so weird, like if you read it, there's this great elaboration on the difference between the two men, how one is very smooth, and he kind of more likes housework, <laughs> and the other is Harry, and he likes to go kill stuff. Dad likes Esau better. 
Mom likes Jacob better. Who's going to get the inheritance? Well, dad wants the inheritance to go through Esau. Now, technically, Esau is the firstborn, right? Mom wants the inheritance to come through Jacob. One day, Esau goes out hunting, and when he comes home, he is so hungry that he thinks that he is going to die. He tells his brother Jacob, who happens to be cooking a pot of beans outside, give me some of your stew. In the Old Testament, it says stew. In the New Testament, when it refers back to this, it says he was cooking lentils. Whatever. He says, give me some of that. And Jacob says, I'll give you some if you will sell me your birthright for this stew. Because Esau has the inheritance. He has the birthright. Okay? Esau says, what good is my birthright to me if I'm dead? So sure, I will sell you my birthright for the stew. And he does. And he eats the stew. Later in the New Testament, we find out that God was pretty ticked with Esau about that. He was foolish for doing this. But we just have the story, okay? As you read through the Old Testament, there are a lot of things that you will want to see uh, commented on. Many men having multiple wives, stuff like that. You're waiting for God just to go, that's wrong, that's wrong. It just tells the story objectively. This is one of those things, okay? We just have the story as it comes. Jacob basically tricks Esau for his birthright. Now, later on, now that the birthright is out of the way, as their father is getting older, he's losing his vision, and he is going to pray a prayer of blessing over his children. Uh, and I say children, at this point, they're not children. These are men ready to go off and be married, right? So they need to go off, they need to do their own thing, and their father is going to pray, uh, pray a blessing over them. And... Jacob's mother, who loves him more than Esau, knows that he is going to give, that the father, Isaac, is going to give the greater blessing to Esau. And she doesn't want that. So, again, her and Jacob come up with a plan to grab the heel of Esau, to trick Esau. Isaac says, Esau, I want you to go out and kill some wild game. I love when you kill wild game. Prepare it for me and come back, and I will pray a prayer of blessing over you. So Esau goes out to hunt. Meanwhile, Jacob and his mother get busy fashioning a goatskin set of sleeves for Jacob. Because Jacob's father, Isaac, his eyes are going. And so they wrap him in goat skin. She goes out and cooks a goat, probably the same one that they've wrapped Jacob in the skin of. And he goes in and serves his father, goat, and says that he is Esau. And Esau says, it doesn't sound like your voice, Esau. And Jacob goes, but it is me. And he gets near 
And Isaac feels the goat hair and goes, this must have been just my ears playing tricks on me because you are super hairy. You are Esau. Which begs the question, how hairy was Esau? <laughs> I, tell, I tell you, the Bible doesn't really use adjectives. We, we say, oh, this guy was like Sasquatch hairy. He was super duper. They don't really do that. They just repeat things. So this is why we get this, uh, this repetition of how hairy Esau is because his father is fooled by goat skin. And so he fills the, the skin, says, okay, this is Esau. He eats the goat, and then he prays the prayer of blessing intended for Esau over Jacob. Now, question. How do you feel about Jacob so far? Kind of a weasel, right? What? Yeah, yeah, same as his mom. Both of them need to be whipped with a rubber hose. Like we're, we're not looking favorably at these men thus far. Now, Jacob deceives Esau. He's got his birthright. Now he's got his blessing. And now, because he's kind of the guy who likes to stay indoors and do that, Esau's the more rugged hunter. Esau's ticked. And Jacob is gone he runs away right because he is afraid that his very hairy brother is going to murder him so he runs as he runs God visits him before he leaves his land and he's going to go to the land that his grandfather originally came from and there he wants to look for a wife. He's got to go sort of get things right. He's got to go find himself. And before he leaves his land, the land that you know of as modern-day Israel, remember the name Israel. We're going to get there in a minute. God appears to him and speaks to him. And then, boom, across the Jordan River he goes into a land where he goes to receive a wife. Now, tables turn. Jacob goes across the river. He goes to a new land, and he sees a girl, and he falls head over heels in love with this girl. But she has a father much like Jacob. He's a bit of a deceiver himself. His name is Laban. Jacob decides, I want to marry your daughter, and he says, what do you have to offer me? And so basically, they come to terms with the fact that Jacob is going to work for Laban for seven years. And in return for his work, he will receive Rachel, the apple of his eye. And so Jacob works for seven years. And the Bible said it seemed like a day to him because his love for Rachel was so strong. And so he works his father-in-law gets him schnockered, which would be the Hebrew term for gets him drunk, right? His father-in-law gets him drunk. He has the wedding. He wakes up, and he is lying next to Rachel's sister, Leah. I told you, it gets a little springerish. And so he's infuriated, and he goes to his father-in-law, and he says, you've tricked me. And his father-in-law says, I can't give you the younger daughter, 
before the older is married. I have to have my older daughter married first. So he says, if you'll work another seven years, you may have my daughter, Rachel. I know this is getting weird. We've got multiple wives, right? It just says it. Never says it was right. It just states it, okay? I don't write the mail. I just read it to you. So he works another seven years, and he receives the apple of his eye, Rachel. And so now Jacob has two wives. Jacob is not known for treating people fantastic, right? And now he has two wives, one that he loves and finds attractive, and the other that he finds to have what the Bible says, weak eyes. Now what does that translate to in English? I've heard multiple things, I'm not exactly sure. Something about her eyes, he doesn't like it, okay? <laughs> so he loves one wife more than the other, much as his father loved one son more than the other, all right? So he works for these two, and Rachel he loves. Rachel cannot have children. Leah he doesn't love. Leah has a lot of children. Rachel gets jealous. She says, here, here's my handmaiden. She'll have children and they'll be counted as mine. And so uh, the handmaiden has a lot of kids. Leah is now jealous. And so she says, here's my maid. And then he sleeps with her. And now he has four wives and a passel of kids. A dozen, to be in fact. Sons. Daughters, we don't know how many. But he is going to have eventually 12 sons. We're not there yet. He will have 12 sons. Okay, I got to get this right. He begins for the first time in his life to earn his way and to do the right thing. He works for his father-in-law. He's a goat herder. And here are his wages. His father-in-law will set the kid. In other words, he will say, any of the kids, you know, baby goats, kids, that are born with stripes will be your wages, and all the rest are mine. And then God would begin to bless Jacob, and they would all have stripes. And so the father-in-law would come and say, any who are born with spots, and so on and so forth. And God sees that the father-in-law is trying to trick Jacob, and that Jacob is actually beginning to do the right thing, and he is, he is being fair in what he does. And so God blesses him, and now he has all these kids, he has all these wives, and people are becoming very jealous of him. Uh, his brother-in-laws are becoming very jealous. They may kill him. So Jacob has now ticked everybody off. If he goes home, his brother may kill him. If he stays, his brother-in-laws may kill him. And he has, we don't know how many mother-in-laws by now. He is a miserable man. I'm, that's a joke. That's a joke. My mother-in-law is the best. And that's not a joke. She is the best. Jacob has to do something. So he leaves. When he leaves, just to make things get a little more weird, his wife, Rachel, goes to her father's house 
and steals all of his household gods. So these things would have been made out of precious metals. They would have been extremely expensive. And she steals them. And he knows, he does not know that she has stolen this, but he does know that it's not going to be popular. He leaves. So they sneak out at night. They leave. Later, father-in-law catches up, is going to murder him, but God visits him in a dream and says, don't murder him. And they leave. And then Rachel's like, ha-ha, whips back some covers like, look, I robbed him blind. This is just kind of his life. This is why it is so relatable. Because if I ask you, is Jacob a good guy or a bad guy? It just depends, right? Because some things he's had really good integrity with. Some things, not so much. And the reason that's so relatable is because if I ask, are you a good guy or a bad guy? (laughs) It just depends on who I go talk to, right? It just depends on really what city we're in. What part of the family you want to visit. Because you've been both. And the reason I know that you've been both is because you're still breathing. If I hold a mirror in front of you, you can fog it up. And that means you've been a bad guy before. That means that you've deceived someone. You've tricked someone. You have been the heel grabber. You have been the deceiver. You have been in a conflict and been in the wrong before. And if you haven't, that just means that you're too young and immature to understand that you were. We are not a room of good guys and bad guys. We are just people who need the grace of God because at some point, at some time, we're guilty. And this is a theme that is going to run throughout the Bible all the way into your life. But then something happens and there's a very powerful passage. It's a very odd passage. I'm going to read it to you and you're going to be like, you're going to have to explain. That's okay because then I will explain. But they have been, uh, 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 Jacob is leaving with all of his wives, all of his children, all of his goats, all of his possessions, some that he earned, some that were stolen, and he's going back across the Jordan land, uh, across the Jordan River into what we know today as modern day Israel. But something happens first. He finds out that Esau is coming. They're ticked over here. I'm going to run back home. Now my goat hair brother is coming for me. (laughs) And this dude is fierce. Don't know what he's been doing all these years. He's an aggressive man. We can assume he's going to be successful. And then word comes, Esau is coming for you. Let's go to Genesis chapter 32, verse 24 through 26. Jacob was left alone. Now let me explain to you why. Before Jacob crosses the river and goes back into Israel, he decides, and this is cunning, that he is going to send his family, 
his wives, his children, his possessions in front of him. And with every camp that he sends over, because they're staggered out, as Esau meets them, they will all give Esau a gift. And so camels, goats, all kinds of gifts. Esau is going to be showered in gifts from his baby brother, who is very sorry about what he has done. And then by the time he reaches his brother Jacob, maybe Jacob will have enough favor with him that Esau will not murder him. That's the goal. And so he sends everybody and everything across the river until one thing is left. Jacob. Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I told you. <laughs> it's an obscure passage, isn't it? Do you need an explanation on that? Or is everybody fired up and ready to go home? Jacob is left alone because Jacob has to go back into God's promised land, into God's promised dynasty, but he's not yet God's chosen man. And so someone comes that he is going to wrestle with. I want to propose to you today Okay, and you Bible scholars out there, you may disagree with me, but you better be packing heat in this argument because I think I know who this is that comes to wrestle with Jacob. Jacob is left alone, and a man comes and wrestles with him, just boom, out of nowhere. Who is this person? Why is this one so angry? And why are they wrestling? When are they wrestling? They wrestle all through the darkness until the daylight comes. And I believe that you know this other man by the name of Jesus. See, Jacob was at a crossroad or about to cross a river. And God had things for him to do, but he wasn't yet the man that God wanted him to be. And he had deceived, and he had run away, and he had never stopped in the midst of his darkness, nighttime, and wrestled with his creator, Jesus, until he could decide who he was going to be when he went into God's calling. And my message to you today, as has been God's message to me all week, is some of you have something that God wants you to do, but you have not stopped and wrestled with God long enough to figure out what kind of man you're going to be. You've not stopped and wrestled with God long enough to figure out, honestly, if you even believe in God. You've not done the work. You have no integrity behind saying that you're a believer or even a Christian because really just kind of going with the flow of culture and really haven't stopped and thought about it. There's questions that I don't have an answer to. Have you wrestled with them yet? 
Don't call yourself a Christian if you haven't gotten to wrestle with that. In fact, don't call yourself an atheist if you haven't wrestled with that. Because you have a whole worldview that you've got to look up, understand, and research. And until you have the integrity of going through the intellectual work of doing that, it's a cop-out to call yourself an atheist. You've got to wrestle. God has a fight that he wants you to fight, and it's with him. I understand that that sounds strange, but we find in the New Testament that you are supposed to work out your own salvation through fear and trembling. If some things are coming a little more difficult to you than maybe to somebody else, and everyone else seems to be doing this Christian thing and getting this Jesus thing, and they're raising their hands in worship, and I'm just hungry. I don't even understand. If it weren't for donuts, I wouldn't even be here. In fact, I don't even know why I'm here, because God is picking a fight with you. He wants you to wrestle with him because you've got to cross the river shortly, and I need to know what kind of man you're going to be. I have given an inheritance, and it's got to come through you, but i got to find out if you are worthy. I need to understand if you're going to stick with it. And I'm going to tell you what God has had to recently tell me. You've got some infirmities. You've got some, uh, uh, let's, just, let's just call it, some intellectual things going on, some questions that you've got to wrestle through, some things that you've begged God to take away from you and he's not. And the reason is because he's not done with this fight yet. It's interesting in this fight that Jacob won. I think it's profound. Because it's like, listen, hey, who would, who would win a fight between Jacob and Jesus? Well, Jesus, of course, he's undefeatable. Some of you have wrestled on an earthly level till the point that you think that you've won. It had to be this way. Because if he was just under submission in a normal way, he wouldn't have understood the power of who he was wrestling with. See, Jacob was wrestling on his terms, and he was winning. And then when the man saw that he couldn't overcome Jacob, when Jesus was allowed to be in submission under Jacob, although they had wrestled through this entire symbolic night until the day came. Come on, can you walk with this symbol for me? Until this day came, Jesus saw that he was not going to physically overcome power Jacob so he strikes him in the hip and knocks his hip out of socket at this point apparently Jacob begins to understand what's going on and Jacob has been holding on all night long to submit Jesus and now Jacob begins to hold on in submission to Jesus and he holds on and he says I will not let you go until you bless me he's been fighting all night long to be superior and now he struggles to hold on because he knows he's inferior because I've wrestled and I gave it my best through the whole darkness and I won every intellectual debate and I read every book and I've taken God to task on every single thing but in the end he strikes me in the hip and I am defenseless. He has lamed me. 
And there are so many men. I've been reading books lately of men who have, have gone through all these scientific endeavors, but when they encounter a holy and living God and get struck in the hip, all of that fighting that they've done all of a sudden turns because they understand who they're fighting with. You're fighting with someone who has graced you to think that you were winning. You're fighting with someone who came down in humility just to be on your level and make some kind of fair fight. But then Jacob understands who it is. And it's funny because you hear these men, Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob, cats out of the bag, this promise is going to go through Jacob, not through Esau. You hear them talk about the God of my father, the God of my father Abraham, the God of my father Isaac. But that was always the God of his grandfather and of his father. And now for the first time, he is meeting the God of Jacob. You may have heard the stories about the God of your grandfather and of your father or of your neighbor or of your preacher or somebody, but is it your God? Jacob hadn't gotten to fight that fight yet. He had always run away. So much so that now his wife has stolen these household idols and there are idols, there are pagan idols in his home. That's not who God wants to cross the river into the promised land because through Jacob is to come a kingdom of priests that you know of as the Israelites. That's what's coming out of him. But not that version of Jacob. First he has to wrestle. And if you find yourself winning in your fight against God, you better buckle up, buttercup. Because you're not fighting who you think you're fighting, and he doesn't fight how others fight. But you have to go through the fight. And there's a lot of you, and this is the answer to your question, God, why won't you take this away? Because he's not done fighting with you yet, because you don't understand your opponent. There's some more reading you have to do. There's some more research you have to do. You need to wrestle with God. And if you're not going home and cracking open your Bible, you're not training. It's not going to work well for you. At your best, you cannot defeat him. Now, back into the story, verse 27. What is your name? The man asked. Jacob, he replied. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked me, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. See, God gave Jacob a new identity after the fight. Now he's defined by who he is with God 
and not with his past actions. Dusty and I were talking about this story uh, this week, and, and Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob's name is changed to Israel, Israel had 12 sons, those are the 12 tribes of Israel, even to this day there's a nation called Israel, this is the man who God chose, but when you read his past, that's not who I would have chosen, would you? Let me ask you this, the person sitting in your seat has a past, but also has a calling. Of all the people I would have chosen to do what God wants to do through you, the person in my seat is not who I would have chosen. Does it matter to God? See, God is picking a fight with you, so to speak. He wants to wrestle with you until you understand who he is. You begin to see from this point forward the integrity of this man change not because of 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 his past anymore is he who he is but it's now because of who God says he is that he is who he is and some of you just have a little more fighting to do you're so competitive I know I know you're competitive In fact, I want to talk about that for just a moment. But you're so competitive in everything else. If we will put stock in all of these other endeavors in our life, why will you not devote your greatest time, your greatest energy, your greatest enthusiasm to this battle to understand your God and your calling on your own life? Use that competitive nature that God gave you, but stop letting the world set what we set it for. I want to teach the kids something. Just real quick. Some of you may disagree with me, but you're wrong. Okay. (laughs) There is, there are are few feelings in the world like striking out. I should know. If we cannot stand to strike out, no matter how you do it, right? Because the coach is going to tell you, oh, if you're going to go down, at least go down swinging. But man, it stinks to hear strike three and you're just in the, in, in the position. You're in the home run position and the other team is leaving the field. Ah, hate striking out. Do you know what? What I do after I strike out has nothing to do with how competitive I am. Kids, let me teach you this. Throwing your bat after you strike out has nothing to do with being competitive. That has everything to do with your character. Striking out and then going and practicing all week because you never want to do it again, that's competitive. Throwing a fit, that's character. Now you're like, wow, well, that's a little heavy-handed. I know because I'm a little high-strung myself. Okay? I've had to learn this lesson myself. And we hear that, and this is for free, this has nothing to do with the message. You guys have heard that your whole life. Oh, I just can't, I can't go there, I can't do that. I'm just, I'm just too competitive. No, 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 no. You ever walk into a game with somebody, that, I'm, just, I'm just too competitive, I'm just, I'm just I, I can't control it because I'm more competitive than anybody else here. Really? Did you practice more than anybody else here? Then you're not more competitive than everyone else here. You're just struggling with your character. That was free, and that was for me, Okay. This is the man 
Jacob, that God used to start a kingdom of priests that he would give the whole world through. Through one of these, through the, through the son Judah, Jesus came through this man, although we wouldn't have picked him. It's my fear. Worship team, go ahead and come up. It's my fear that God wants to wrestle with you, but there's never a time when you're on your side of the river alone. Do you understand the importance of Jacob having been alone when he wrestled with God? Because no one else can do it for you. In fact, if people can walk alongside you as you wrestle with God, but they can't jump in the fight with you. And, and that's what a church is for. We walk alongside people. We pray for people. And, 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 and we, we, want, we want you to know God in spirit and truth. We want him to rock you and, and have all those things. But nobody can do it but you. And my fear is we will stay so distracted that we will never wrestle with God. That we will never cross over the river. The man, the woman that God wants us to be to bless the world. We, st we fight for other stuff that is of way less importance. Jacob had stolen everything else <laughs> to this point. Not everything. He earned his goats. But he had stolen his inheritance. He had stolen his blessing. this one God is no fool he's not going to be robbed nobody's still in their way into heaven nobody's still in their way into relationship with Jesus check out Matthew 7 21 and 23 not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my father in heaven on that day many will say to me Lord Lord didn't we prophesy in your name drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name then I will announce to them I never knew you depart from me you lawbreakers you can't play the game and get in you have to know God and I'm proposing to you that you will not know God until you wrestle with him first Pray with me. Lord, we praise you for who you are. God, we are in a country that is actively trying to push us away from you, trying to push our children away from you. And God, it is not convenient and it is not com comfortable to wrestle with you, to be alone with our own thoughts, ideas, to go against culture. God, it's not comfortable to do any of those things. But God, I pray that you will give us the courage to fight that fight, to be alone and meet with you long enough to have this match, Father. I pray that we will submit, that we will learn our lessons quickly and that we will run to you. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name, amen. The worship team is gonna play and then baskets are gonna come up.
And uh, part of the way that we worship is with our tithe and offering. But listen, everybody has to wrestle with God. And so we're not afraid of that conversation because we've got to go through it. I've had to go through it. I don't know how many times. <laughs> You've got to go through it. And we want to be there with you. We want to pray for you. So put that on, the, on your connection card, whatever you're going through. And we want to walk with you, uh, as you as you go through that. And... Um, I think that's it. We do have Bible study tonight right here at 6 o'clock p.m. And hope to see you there. Other than that, I think we're good. Please stand and worship with us.